0: Noisy little group. I don't know about you, but that was some good worship today. There's certain times where I feel like, you know, let's just stay there and just do that. But I have an assignment, so I'm going to do it because I'm obedient. Um, This is the last, as Pastor Jeremy mentioned, this is the third and last of of this series. We've been in 2 Kings, the second chapter, um, and we're going to finish up with with that today. I hope it's been a help for you. We've been walking with these two great men of God. Elijah and his protege, Elisha, have been traveling together. We've been stopping at different locations, and each one had some significance for us. Um, So I hope you have your walking shoes on, because we're going to... Do a little more journeying, and then then we'll bring this series to um, a conclusion. If you're if you're in 2 Kings, the second chapter, um, we're going to read the verses six through fourteen. I, I just have three points for you today, and I'll I'll sort of those people who like outlines. I'm, I'm one of those kind of folks, by the way, so I'm not criticizing. Um, I'll give you the the heading of each passage as we read through the scripture, okay? So you can just set, jot them down that line, leave space in between so you can fill, we'll go back and, and fill in all the notes, okay? Um, I, I highly recommend, this is a commercial, taking notes in church. It's, it's another way of learning, it's another reinforcement, or I highly recommend just sitting under the word and hearing it and then going home and later in the week watch the video um, that's on YouTube. And then you can stop. It's, it's, it's funny. You can stop when you, you know, sometimes I say something, you say, Oh, I wish you'd go back. Cause I missed half of that. You can stop it. Yeah. And it's fun because you catch people in the most weird looks on their faces and stuff when they'd stop mid sentence or mid word. It's very <laughs> uncomplimentary. Just some suggestions. Second Kings, second chapter verse six Point number one, there is a positioning that takes place. It says, then Elijah said to him, said to Elisha, please stay here, they're in Jericho. Please stay here for the Lord has sent me to, jo- to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I'll not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them could go over on dry ground. Point number two, there's a revisioning. Verse nine. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elisha said, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you did not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elisha went up by a whirlwind into heaven And Elisha saw it, and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw them no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. Point number three, there's a releasing. Verse 13, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Lord, I ask that you'd bless your word today. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, and I pray that you'd speak into us your word We all are at different places in our journeys. We're all at different places in life. We all have different sets of needs and desires and wishes and you know all of it. And you can take one word and you can apply it in every different situation and add meaning and purpose to it. And in your word today, Lord, there's direction, there's healing, there's instruction, there's deliverance, there's hope, there's peace, there's joy, there's all the things that you are are in your word. And I pray that as we spend this time under your word, that you would release your purposes into our hearts and lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right, we'll just jump in. Point number one, there's a positioning, all right, of a couple of things. There's a positioning of purpose. Um, And we'll see right off to the start, purpose is never fulfilled without determination. Did you ever know that? The things that you really want to do, you do. The things you really want to get done, you determine and you get them done. And the things that you're not so determined about are still on the list. Your wife probably has that list. And she's trying to remind you that you should be determined to get these things done. But the reality is determination is is important. Um, Three times, thinking back of our past few sessions, we started in verse six where Elijah is encouraging, it sounds like Elisha, to just stay in Jericho. That's not the first time, that's the third time that that's happened. It, it happened at Bethel, it happened um, at, at um, Gilgal, it happened at Bethel, now it's happening at Jericho. Um, where Elijah, Elisha is being encouraged, it sounds, by his, by his mentor, just stay, just stay. Well you know, and, and sometimes we're encouraged by whatever, or even just from within ourselves to do that same thing in our Christian journey. Let's, let's sort of just let's just sort of stay for a while. I like where I'm at. It's comfortable where I'm at. It's good where I'm at. I like the people who are around me where I'm at. Let, let, let's, just, let's just stay. Not forever, but let's just stay overnight. Let's, let's just hang out here for a while. Let's, let's stay for a few days, you know, and, and we, we're, we, we know that there's more ahead. We know there's more journey. We know we're not done. We know we haven't arrived. We know God has more to tell us, more to show us, more to use us for. We know that, but, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of good. Let, let's just stay here. Can I tell you something? Disciples don't think that way. True disciples don't think that way. Because a true disciple, a f- true follower of Jesus knows you can't stay and follow at the same time. It's, it's just not possible. And Jesus, when he calls his disciple, what does he say? Two words. Follow me. He doesn't say, let's just stay and hang out together. He says, follow me. Motion. Activity. There's a there's an old preacher that was one of my favorites. And I don't know if any of you recognize his name was Bob Mumford. I think he's, I think he's still teaching. Um, but I heard him say something in a message one time and he was talking about following Jesus and determination to follow Jesus. And he, and he made a statement that just, that just stuck. He, He said that even if, if I'm following Jesus, even if I fall on my face, I'm still pointed in the right direction. I thought, okay, that's a good picture. That we should live our lives that way. That even if we stumble, even if we trip, we're still aimed right at him. Get up and keep going. Get up and take, take the, the next step. Um, you can't stay and follow at the same time. Israel knew that. The, the nation, the people of Israel, they, they knew that. Remember in, in, the, in the wilderness, there was the tabernacle and there was what? There was the cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory of God. And, and what did they know? If the cloud moved, we move. They knew that. And, and if the cloud moved and they didn't move, they, they what? They, they left God in essence. They distanced themselves. They positioned themselves in a, in, a, in a more remote, even a type of rebellious action if the cloud moved and they didn't move. They would miss God. God. There was a time in Jesus' ministry where he started teaching. He was teaching some more mature things, some meatier things, some beefier things. And a lot of his disciples, beyond the 12, he had a lot of disciples, who, people who followed him regularly. It says they, they followed him no more. And if you recount that, that, that story, Jesus turned to his, his disciples and he said, uh, will you leave me too? Are you, are you gonna check out on this too? And Peter comes up with the great answer, the perfect answer, where are we gonna go? You only have the words to eternal life. You know, we we sang about the names of God. Can I tell you something? Everything you need in life is within the person of Jesus Christ. Everything you need is within the word of God. If you chase something or follow something that's outside of God's word, it's not gonna go well with you. It's not gonna produce what you hope it will produce. And it's not gonna bring you what you hope it would bring you. That everything, life, all of our life as a Christian is contained within the person and the word of Jesus Christ. And we have to, have to live leave these lives with such determination that we're not leaving, where else can we go? Where else can we go? Life gets hard, where else can we go? God doesn't answer, or apparently he hasn't answered us for, where else are we going to go? Someone says something and hurts us, where else are we going to go? We have to live with that kind of inner determination and fortitude that it just doesn't matter what happens. No matter what the next step of life may or may not be, I'm not leaving. I'm not ceasing to follow. I'm not going to just stay where I am. Even if where I am feels good, there's more. Because everything God does is good. Because all he is is good. And so we take the next step. There's a positioning of purpose. There's a positioning of priority. There's this group called Sons of the Prophet. We've talked about them before. There, There were these schools. Of of we would say Bible students, seminarians, whatever they were they were scribe type of folks. They studied the Word of God. They they studied what God was doing and saying. Samuel is a credit. The prophet Samuel is a credit for starting these schools. Elijah became the, the leader and and and, uh, and would visit these cities where the these schools were, and he would he would teach and he would lead them and he would instill and impart. Into them Um, in in Jericho, there was there were sons of the prophets. They met them there, and um, that's who these folks are. For our purposes today, they're going to represent the the people and responsibilities in your life. Because they would have been, this would have been Elisha's um, people. This has been his group. All right, this has been the, the ones he hang out with. Every time he went to a city, there, there was these, these other guys who were, were had, they were his network, okay? They were the ones that, that shared and, and interacted with each other. They were his co-workers. They were where he drew his friends from. They were his community, these sons of the prophets. They, they, had, they were on the same wavelength, um, and it talks about these 50 sons of the prophets who are, who are gathered there at the Jordan off a little bit, but they're gathered there at the Jordan. They were most likely, um, the, the group that was in Jericho because that's right by the Jordan. Some of them may have been from the other cities who just sort of followed along with Elijah, Elijah and Elisha as they walked through these different places and, and they're gathered there too. But I want you to just notice their positioning that they're gathered together at a little bit of a distance from where Elijah and Elisha are, who are standing at the brink of the Jordan. Um, In moving to next levels, you're going to notice this if you haven't already in your life, that sometimes to get there, you'll you'll find time or find a need or there'll be something inside you that, that knows that you know that you have to pull away, that you have to draw away. Not reject, not dismiss, not, not close or end or cut off um, responsibilities or people from your lives, but you'll feel something inside that lets you know that if I'm gonna get to that next place in God, I've gotta start drawing away and spending a little more time with God. Do you, do you understand that? Anyone who relate to that, you've sensed that, you've felt that in your heart, and you just know that to get there, this this is that means I need to distance myself a little bit, not forever, and there's no problem, but I need to spend more time with the Lord. And the reality is, there's still only twenty four hours a day, and if you're going to spend more time seeking the Lord, then that's less time with certain other things or other opportunities or things that normally you would be doing. And we find that that there's this distance. Elijah and Elisha are at the Jordan, the sons of the prophets, their community, their friends, their their network. That they were there, but they were off a little. Normally, they'd be walking together. Normally, they'd be talking together. Normally, they'd be in, in mass together. And we see this picture of distancing um, because Elijah and Elisha are are. On this journey, and they're right at the brink of their next level that God was going to bring them bring them into. Um, I, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. You'll get further and faster when you pr- prioritize your time away with the Lord. Okay, you'll get further and faster when you prioritize your time away with the Lord. All you have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus was continually drawing away. His disciples would be sleeping. He'd be off on a mountainside. He'd be on a hillside. He'd be somewhere spending time with the Father so that he would be able to, that's why he was able to say, I only, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see the Father doing. How did, he, how did he know that? Because he spent time with his Father. I think Jesus had a lot of sleepless nights because he knew that he had to pull away he had to create some distance and space from people and responsibilities, and he had to just sit in God's presence. He had to just uh, bask in his walk and his relationship with the Father. Remember, Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human. And as the man, the man side of him knew that I have to do this if I'm going to really keep progressing in my mission and my, what, what I'm here to do and what I'm here to accomplish. Listen, can I tell you something? There, there's a grace there's a gift that we can offer each other as a community of believers, as a community of faith, and it's, and it's something we should be aware of. These 50 men, they, they knew that Elisha was, was being repositioned. They knew that things were changing, that he was moving into a new, a new anointing, a new area of authority, um, and they're gathered there. But it's interesting of how they're gathered. They're, they're not there to critique they're not there to criticize. They're not there to just have their cameras on and take, you know, videos of of whatever might happen. They're not there to judge or, or reject. They, they, they're not there and and you know, especially relating to Elisha, Elisha was sort of like a peer. You know, Elijah, he was he was the big guy. Elisha was like a peer, but yet I don't think that in them was any motivation or any heart of, of, of jealousy or anger or, or they weren't gossipy or they weren't wounded because, well, why is he over there with Elijah and I'm standing here? I know how Christians can be. I've been one of them sometimes. And, and we, can, we can go that way sometimes when we see someone who seems to be um, moving differently than they used to. When we see that they may be, it feels like they're advancing more than we are. They, they seem to love Jesus more than we do. They, they seem to be growing in their faith. And it's making us feel convicted. Um, can I tell you something? The, the grace that we can give each other those times is, is the grace that these 50 men were giving to Elisha. They weren't there to, to do anything except encourage they were there to support, they were, they were there to applaud, they were saying, keep going Elisha, keep going Elisha, do all, everything God wants of you, follow after it, run hard after it, don't, don't slow down, don't stop. Even if it created a temporary distance between them. Because you'll, as you read the story, you'll find out they're, re, they're reconnected again. That, that, that distance wasn't a permanent thing. That distance was not a divide. It was just something that had to be for a period of time. And and when they came back together, their relationship was reshaped. It was was different, but it was, I think, better. When when again, they were reunited after God had accomplished what he was doing. I I, I encourage you to, to, let's be a community that that encourages each other, that pushes each other, that urges and prompts each other to to keep going. Just, Just keep going. Keep walking. Whatever God has for you, go after it. And it may be, it's going to be maybe different than what you're going after. That, that's just a reality. We're all following Jesus, but how many of you know we're taking different paths to get there? And he may be working in your life one way, and he's working in my life another way. He's working in another person's life another way. That doesn't disconnect us. It just says we have to encourage each other. Because ultimately, we will end up together. Right? And I say, if we're going to end up together, if we're going to end up united on the other side of this life, why not practice now? It's just the way I think. Why not practice now? All right. Okay. Positioning. We're still on positioning, right? Um, Purity. There's a positioning of purity. Verse eight tells us that um, there's always going to be things in the way when we try to reach our next level. And. Elisha and Elijah are standing at the Jordan and it appears to be in their way because they have to get to the other side. And you know, the story, Elijah takes his mantle, he hits the water, the water opens and they walk across on dry ground. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Um, it, it, it was getting sort of common in the history of Israel for waters to open. So they could walk by. This is, this was not a first time. Um, but there's an important lesson in all of that. And the lesson is, is, simple, is simply this, that even when there doesn't seem to be a way, God's not limited. Right. Even when there's no way apparent, God can make a way. Right. Even when there, we, we automatically think back to the Red Sea. We can fast forward to a more current time to, to this event. They're at the place, near the place where the Israelites crossed over the Jordan into the promised land and where the water's open for, for Joshua to let the people um, be able to, to come through. In scripture, when you, when you see these events happening, there's a typology that, that the, the Bible is teaching us. And it's, it's a type of baptism, crossing over, into another level of God's plan, crossing over into a place that God has set aside for you, that God has designed for you, crossing over through obstacles, through a, it. It's a form of baptism. And in that, we, we are, we're positioned, as, as Christians, we've been positioned in Christ. Okay, so there's been a, a baptism that has taken place. I'm not just talking just water baptism. I'm talking, there, there's a baptism that takes, has taken place in our lives by being positioned in Christ. That, that position, it, it's, it's uh, and it has been a, it created a purity in us, if you would. A purity that come, comes by obedience because we're following God's steps for our life. We're doing our best to hear clearly and, and follow hard after Him, that, that there's a washing. Um, in the Old Testament, before the priest could do anything in, their, in service to the Lord, there was ceremonial washings that they had to regularly, routinely give themselves to. There's a, a washing away of that impurities that would keep us from offering sincere service and ministry to the Lord. There's, there, we're positioned um, by death in baptism. It's, there's a death that signified, a death to what was a death to what we used to be, a death to a former season of life, a death to, to whatever, but there's, it doesn't always, it's not always sin. It could just be something that needs to be over so that the new can take place. It's all signified and, and, and symbolized in, in this baptism and crossing the Jordan. Of course, there's a death, there's, there's a resurrection. There's now a, a need to walk through, into newness of life, into whatever the new thing God has for you, into that new level of of understanding. And and there's then a testimony. Baptism ultimately results in, in a testimony about living our lives out loud. Boldness. I'm a Christian. If there's people in your life that don't know you're a Christian, something's wrong. If you hide it, if you blend in, if you're a chameleon at work or at school, I pray boldness over your life. I mean, God is, Jesus is, he died for you and he's moved you from death to life. That's something not to be ashamed of. And it's something that others need to hear about. And no, it's also our job. That's another subject. Okay, let's keep moving. Oh my Lord. Why does this happen to me? Point two, there's a revisioning. There's a revisioning. Okay, Elijah wants to to um, leave something to his protege, and he asks. He says, "Ask what you sh- what I can do for you. Ask what I can leave for you. Ask what I can offer you. What what a what an offer! Here's the man of God. Tell me what you want. You know, flashbacks to to, to Solomon, where God asked, ask for anything and it's yours. But what a what a moment." to have to consider and think about, what would you ask, what would you ask? If you had that kind of an offer, what, what would you ask? And it forced Elisha to, to sort of like envision what he's being called to and what, what he's gonna really need. What, 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 do I, what can I ask for that's really gonna equip me and make me able and capable and give me a capacity to do the things that God's calling me to? I don't even know what they are yet, but I know it's gonna be more than anything in my past. I, I know it's gonna, it's gonna be beyond me. It, it's gonna require more than I have to offer. And, and Elijah asks, he says, I, I want a double portion of the spirit of God that's on you. I want a double portion of that spirit in me. Now, it, that, it, he wasn't saying, I, I wanna do more than you did. I, I wanna have bigger crowds than you had. I, I wanna have you know bigger offerings than you took. That, that's not what he was saying what he was put this in context of of the culture what he was doing he's, he's asking for a spiritual gift and he's asking to be treated as a spiritual son a spiritual eldest son and the eldest son always got what a double portion that was the call that's what he was asking for he's saying i i, I need a double portion of your goodness, a double portion of of that which uh, has has propelled you into your ministry. I, I want a double portion of that because I. I I'm, and he sees himself in a position of like an eldest son, at least spiritually. Um, and Elijah says that that's a hard thing. That that's not. An easy thing that you ask. Because Elijah knew that's not him. To, he couldn't grant it. That, that was beyond his pay grade. He, he couldn't, he couldn't po- uh, promise that. And, and so he, he gives him advice. He says, well, I'll tell you how you'll know. I, I, can't, I can't say yes or no, but I'll tell you how you will know. And his, his advice was, keep your eyes open. Just keep your eyes open. Because when I go, if you see it, It's granted. If you don't see it, it's not granted. I want to take a couple minutes here because there's an important point I think that's, that's worth looking at. The Bible talks a lot about open eyes. It really does in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. All the way back to the garden. Okay, back, to, back in the garden. What was the conversation between, between Eve and the serpent? The serpent says, God knows. This is part of the temptation that when you eat of it, of the fruit, your eyes will be opened. And in the opening of those eyes, you'll now be like God, which wasn't true. That was a lie because they already were like God. Knowing good and evil. Your eyes will be open to know good and evil. Can I've even taught it this way that, well, they didn't need to know evil. But that's really not a good interpretation of scripture. He said they're going to know good and evil. So there's something in that, that that's worth looking at. See, Adam and Eve didn't live prior to sin, prior to the fall. They didn't live a life that was filled with moral tension like we do. Good and evil, good and evil, right or wrong. They, 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 didn't, they had no comprehension of that kind of existence. They, had, they never had to make a moral determination about anything. Because their eyes weren't open to good and evil. Good or evil. They had no knowledge of good and evil. They only knew God. God. And in knowing God, all they understood was righteousness. Everything was righteousness. Because they were righteous. Perfectly. Created perfect. In God's image and likeness. Clothed with God's righteousness. The, the Bible puts it through, They were naked and unashamed. Had nothing to do with physicality had everything to do with their personhood. They were absolutely righteous. They, see, we have to choose to live righteously. They didn't have to choose, they just were righteous. Do you understand? They were just complete, perfect, in their creative state, in God, in that great imago Dei. They they were righteous. They didn't have to think consciously that I'm gonna do good. No, they, they, they were beyond good. They, they lived above and beyond good and evil. They lived in the righteousness of God, clothed with the righteousness of God, absolutely righteous in everything, in the way they thought, the way they acted, the way they talked with one another, with their desires of their heart, the motivations by which they lived life every day was righteousness. It's hard for us to even comprehend that kind of an existence Everything they did, thought, and desire, was righteous. In that understanding, good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil didn't help us in any way. It, it didn't improve our existence in any way. Verse seven in Genesis says that the eyes, the, the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When their eyes were open, in this sense, they became blind. They could no longer see what they saw before. When they looked at themselves, when they looked at each other, they no longer saw righteousness. They didn't even have righteous eyes in which to view righteousness. They only saw good and evil. That's why it says that they were ashamed because they knew they were naked. It's not because again of physicality, it's because they no longer saw the righteousness of God in themselves or in each other. They never saw His perfection, they couldn't see they couldn't see the fingerprints of God on their life because sin had entered. Eyes that at one time could only see God now can only see themselves and they lost the vision that they had at one time. See following Jesus, And if we're going to move in our progress with him, it's going to require a revisioning in that our eyes have to be open again or our eyes have to be reopened again. We have to ask God that he would restore to us a proper vision that is made righteous again. If you keep reading the account of Elisha after this event, and as he moves into his ministry, his new ministry, um, there'll be that time where the Assyrian army has surrounded them, him and his servant, and and his servant's freaking out, and and says, "It's a whole Syrian army. We might as well just surrender." And Elisha says, "No, there's more of us than them." Remember that account? What, What did he What did he pray? Elisha prays, "God, open the eyes of my servant." And God answered the prayer and with open eyes, reopened eyes, he looked around he saw the chariots and the armies of the hosts of heaven and realized we got nothing to worry about. There's nothing that we have to be concerned about. You have the account of the resurrected Christ with his disciples. Before he leaves the earth, it says, he opened their understanding. Some, 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 Translations or commentaries read that He opened the eyes of their understanding, so that they could understand Scripture. See, you can read your Bible, but until your eyes are open to it, until the Holy Spirit does a work inside of you and opens your eyes, you ever, and you've all had those moments where you read Scripture and suddenly something you've read a hundred times has new vision to it, new life in it, and and you say, I never saw that before. That's right, because the Spirit of God has opened your eyes to a new truth, a new layer. On, in the word of God. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. When Paul prayed for the Ephesians, here's his prayer, just listen, and, and just count it for yourself, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Listen, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that he might open your eyes, that he enlightened your eyes so that you could see what's really there. When Paul talks about his mission, Paul, what are you called to do? I'm, I'm, I'm called to open their eyes so that they can turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. The two men walking on their way to Emmaus after Christ is crucified, the risen Christ now enters the conversation and walks with them. They have no clue until they share communion. and says that, Jesus opened their eyes and then they recognized him. There's this thing about opening our eyes. How many times repetitively in Revelation, the seven churches, what's the one common thing in every situation? Oh, that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear. There, there's a, a working in us that the Spirit of God wants to do and, and needs to do, and we need to invite him to do that. And when we're asking for more of the Holy Spirit, when Elisha is asking for more of the Holy Spirit, he's asking for open eyes. He's asking that God would open his eyes. and Because when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, We re-envision the whole world. Everything changes. We're able to see the invisible, hear the inaudible, touch the intangible, overcome the unconquerable, understand the unknowable, love the unlovable, reach the unreachable. Listen, when your eyes are open, suddenly you see differently. We see the way God sees. And if you see the world and life the way God sees, if you see you the way God sees, changes everything. It alters everything. And look what, look what Elijah saw, just, just off the bat, and, and just enjoy. I'm not going to spend time on this, but I want you to just hear it again. Maybe if you feel comfortable, close your eyes and just try and imagine, because this, so, this is so other. But this is what Elijah saw. Behold, chariots of fire, horses of fire, separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind to heaven and Elisha saw it and cried my father my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen and he saw them no more just just bask in that sometimes i can't i can't really teach it but you i just want you to enjoy it the majesty of our god the phenomenal power of our god it's a mystery we don't, where did Elijah go? What happens when a person is taken, but they never died? What, what, what is that? And, and, what is it, and what does it mean? Why, why did God spare him? Why did he have this, this exit from earth, but not via a physical death, which is appointed unto every man? And there's all kinds of conversation about this. I'll, make one, I'll draw one conclusion that is, that is beneficial for us. That we can know, and maybe not in this fashion, but every saint—this is a promise for every one of us. Every saint, when you pass and leave this earth, you're escorted to heaven. You're, you're not coming in a back door. You're not sneaking in. You're not just there. You are. You're escorted. The, there'll be heavenly escorts that takes you into the Father's presence. Open eyes. Okay, I'm going to skip this part. Last point, there's a releasing. There's a releasing. Okay. That that would make sense. You'll have to back up because the, the previous point was about Elijah tearing his clothes out of out of the sorrow and the grief that he was feeling and and that when our eyes are open, we don't just always see good things. We don't always see things that just celebrate. When we start seeing what God sees, we start seeing the way he sees them. And there's a lot of things around us in this world, a lot of things that you just see and hear and, and watch every day on the news, there's nothing else that isn't cause for celebration. And you start seeing them differently though. You start seeing, I, I noticed in, in my own life, I, when I, I used to get mad when I'd heard, heard or see, saw certain things. Now I don't get mad, you know what, I get sad. I get sad, could you imagine what it was like for Jesus? He was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. You know why? Because he walked this earth that he loved. People he created and loved was going to die for. He saw them ensnared by sin. He saw them blind to the darkness of the age. He saw them going and doing horrendously terrible things to themselves and to one another, cause sorrow and grief. So opening eyes isn't all fun and games open our eyes is that we start seeing the way God sees things and it just causes some kind of a tear inside of us that breaks our heart. Not to get angry but to grieve and be sad and intercede for whatever that that situation needs to be. Okay? So there's a releasing. He's in this state. He has just torn his clothes. And Elisha now is at the Jordan again, only this time he's by himself. Th- this is a pivotal moment for Elijah. Th- this is this this is a a telltale moment. He has torn his clothes, but God will never ask you to take off something without having a mantle laying around nearby. He'll never tell you to remove something or remove something from you without something better in store when you go to a next level there's going to be things you've got to tear up you got to leave behind again not always sinful things but things that would prohibit you limit you in that next level you have to be willing to let go of them but you'll always find a mantle to pick up and put on that will launch you into the newness that God has for you. This was that kind of a moment. Elijah, Elisha rather, picks up the mantle. He's standing at the Jordan. And, and this is his moment of truth. This is his test of faith. His journey of his whole life has brought them to this place in this moment. And his next level has now become his new level. He, he's about to move into something that he doesn't even have full understanding of, but but he's at the Jordan. The same Jordan that opened for Joshua, the same Jordan that, that opened for e- Elijah. When he crossed the Jordan with Elijah, with Elijah, it was moving into something. But the doing of that something was on the other side, and now he doesn't have Elijah. and Jordan's in the way. What does he do? you get to a point in God where it's too late to turn around. He didn't have a whole lot of options. So he takes Elijah's mantle and he calls on God for himself. See, he's always been the protege. There's always Elijah doing the calling down, the casting out. But now he calls on God on his own and he strikes the water. Where's the God of Elijah? Saying this was a moment for him. Where's the God that sends fire from heaven? Where's the God that rules over every tower of darkness? Where's the God that sends raven, ravens to, to, to feed his servants? Where's the God who withholds rain? Where's, where's the God who, who, who speaks um, uh, above, softer but yet above thunder and earthquake and fire? Where's, where's the God of uh, Elijah? Now where's Elijah? Where's the God of Elijah? And he strikes the water and it parts. And listen, it wasn't the mantle that parted the water. It was the goodness and the faithfulness of God and the power of God and the faith of Elisha. If you're gonna move to next levels, there'll be times where you stand at Jordan and there'll be some pivotal moments, some telltale moments God, I promise you this. Not my promise. The, the word of God says this. If God is faithful to bring you to the Jordan, he's faithful to bring you through the Jordan. If God's faithful to walk with you up into facing that situation or overcoming something, he's faithful to get you to the other side. His power will be there. His presence will be there. You just have to call on him. You just have to call and trust in his name. If you follow Elisha's life from chapter two on, it's worth a read. You'll see the fruit of this moment. You'll, you'll see the fruit of this new level that Elisha is walking in now, the new authority that has been given. But for us here today, why don't you stand up? And just be, be prayerful because I want to ask a probing question and you, it's just for you to answer in yourself with, with the spirit of God listening and wanting to add his guidance in your life right now as a son or daughter of God what's, what's God calling you to what's, what's your next level it may not be some big lofty thing. It may not seem that way to you, but if it's where, if it's the steps God wants you to take, it's a big thing. It's an important thing. What's your next level? Maybe God's calling you to love your spouse better. Maybe to invest in your kids more. Maybe a greater boldness to to live your life out loud, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe he's calling you to go after that one certain person, that that prodigal son or daughter, prodigal parent. Maybe he's calling you to overcome the fear of man, that that you hear God and you you want to move with God, but you're so trapped and ensnared by opinions of people. And you find yourself giving more attention to what people might think or say as opposed to what God thinks and says maybe he's calling you to break out of that maybe a freedom in your thought patterns or your behaviors or reactions to life of of pride or fear or worry maybe he's calling you to commit to deeper levels of spiritual disciplines basics Bible study Prayer, service, worship, community. Take a moment and just name name your next level. And if you're not sure, then that's, that's your next level. To ask God to show you a reachable but yet out of reach. So that when you get there, you know you didn't do it. And I want to close the service in a, in a special way. Uh, of course, with prayer. But I, I, I'm a believer that sometimes our faith needs feet. It doesn't make God do anything or not do anything, but it's good for us. to When we say we believe something, sometimes it's good to attach an action to it because it helps seal something in us. And if you're serious, maybe you're, you know you're on a next level journey. You, you, could, you could list it right now. Here's, here's what God's doing in my life and here's where he's taking me. Here's where I know I'm supposed to get to and I'm trusting him. And... Or maybe you're at, you're at a level right now where you, you just you just want to know what that next level is but you're serious about your walk. You're serious about your walk. And you've determined that there's a line in the sand that, that I'm not going back, I'm not, I'm not gonna retreat, I want, I'm gonna keep moving forward. Then, then I want you to do this by faith. And as we close our time together, I want you to move forward. Physically, I, I want you just to come. And, and gather around this place and it's just saying God I'm yours God wherever you lead I'm going to follow to the best of my ability God whatever, whatever steps you have laid out for me that you knew about before the foundations of the earth I, I'm going to follow them not, just come there's nothing magical in this or anything but it's a, it's a sign of faith it, it's, it seals something in you it says something to the Lord Oh, what if people think, what fear of man? Well, I don't normally do that. That's not something that's normally within, really. Most people wouldn't die for you. Just, just by faith, take a step, take a step. And, and I'm gonna ask that the Holy Spirit seal this moment in every one of us. You know, we, we talked about, Lily mentioned t- today, that last week we talked about building altars of, of remembrance. Moments where we knew God met us. I pray this becomes one of those moments for you. That the Holy Spirit will even down the road recall, recall this moment in your life where you say, yeah, that was, I, that was an altar. I, I built something there to remind me. And it, it became a marker that now I can measure myself from that moment and know if I'm progressing. So Father God, we're just your kids. We're just sons and daughters. We have feet of clay. We sometimes get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. But this we know, we love you. And you love us. And we've committed our lives and are determined to follow you. To not go to the left or go to the right, but to, with all of our strength and might, stay right up close to you and pursue you. So Father, read this moment and seal this moment in our hearts and in our spirits. If if there are steps we're taking that are out of line and not leading us in the right direction would you holy spirit reveal them and give us the the grace and determination to correct them if there's things that we're not hearing properly would you give us ears to hear if there's things we're not seeing clearly would you give us eyes to see would you open our eyes to see what you're saying and doing God, we live in troubled times, but that's not new. Since the garden, it's always been troubled times. But you've positioned us here in this time for a purpose. First to know you, and then to walk with you, and then to serve you through our journey. So, God, seal this moment. We give you our lives. We give you our hearts fresh and anew. We pray that you'd make your word, the living seed of God, take root in our hearts, that we not forget it, that we not lay it aside, that it not be stolen by the enemy or choked out by the world around us, scorched by the pressure of the day, but, Lord, that it takes root and brings a harvest for your glory. So God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this time. I pray your blessings upon my brothers and sisters. I pray that you be exalted in their lives. And that you continue to do that good work in every one of us, all the way up to the day of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you next Sunday, if not before. God bless you.